welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Advisor Talk. I am Frank LaRosa, your host and a special guest. Not really a guest, but he hasn't been on in a while, so I'm happy to have him back. Dale Dempsey, my right-hand man. Yeah, I'm to your right. Just before anyone asks, we did not color coordinate our outfits today. As a matter of fact, oh, we wow. weren't really planning on even doing this today, but that's okay. We've been working together long enough. I think we're sort of, you're actually, your t-shirt is actually very close to this. So This is a great t-shirt. It just goes to show us what kind of team we are. So <laughs> I want to tell everyone where I got my shirt at. Where'd you get it? Where did you get the shirt? Models, I think. Yeah, is that place online. even around? Yeah, I do online retailing. Okay, I bet it. For those of you that are joining us, if you're watching the video, then you're going to get to see a great presentation on our grease board. I would say back by popular demand. We've had a number of people want us to do one of these again. We did one a while back titled 1099 versus W-2, sort of outlining the differences between your compensation for the financial advisor. But we wanted to do one again. I sort of screwed up the other night doing an Instagram Live. I'm new to the whole Instagram Live thing. And I was going to cover what I've trademarked as dual monetization, which is sort of a strategy for a financial advisor that's thinking about retiring to really more than double what they would normally get if they just retired at their existing firm. But Dale, you've been talking, you've been having a lot of conversations with advisors about this particular topic for retiring. It's something that comes up all the time. So a lot of advisors we speak with, specifically at the bigger firms, the wirehouses, these larger institutions, where a lot of the programs are very formalized. I should say formalized. They are, what, they're cookie cutter? They're not customized. Right. So when you get these, it's like plain cheese, no toppings. You know exactly what you're going to get. And pre-negotiated. There is no yeah. negotiation. There's no right. negotiation. Yeah, it is what it is, right? Right. But if you have a book that's 90% fee-based, you get the same number, essentially percentage number, as someone that has a book that's 30% fee-based. Right. For the most part, it's really true. And a lot of advisors ask us, what's better than that? What's better than taking this 2x deal that I'm going to get here at the warehouse and I don't have to do any work? The reality is when we look at a lot of these deals you do have to do some work. There's definitely some back-end hurdles, but you're not getting twice your revenue. You're not duly monetizing your practice. And this right. is something we talk about all the time. I think that the hidden truth behind that whole thing and the firms pushing that on advisors is not only are they buying your practice on the cheap, but they're also locking in your successor forever. The person that's taking over the book, and if you're in that situation and you're thinking about taking over a book, read the fine print. The person that's taking over that retiring advisor's book, he can't leave because he's locked in with those clients. He can leave, but he's got to leave that entire book behind. And so firms know that, which is why they tend to not talk about it all that much. But one of the things, and I was talking to an advisor out West, this whole idea of taking over his senior partner's book of business and then sort of doing the retirement thing. And we're, I sort of walked through what I call dual monetization. He didn't really understand it. I did trademark it because I think it's a really great idea. It's a simple idea, sort of like the hula hoop. What a wonderful idea, right? So what we thought we'd do today 
is just walk through this whole idea of what dual monetization looks like mathematically. A couple of disclaimers. We are not accountants. We are not your CPA. So consult your CPA. We use approximate numbers based on our experience working with and talking to firms all over the country. So don't take anything that we're about to show you as hard and fast guaranteed numbers. We're talking about eight times revenue and two times revenue and one times revenue. We have taken fairly sort of down the middle numbers, plus or minus, but the formulas work the same. So the idea is that you can take what we're about to show you and whatever numbers you're working through, just run through the math and you'll come out with some similar percentages, plus or minus. So why don't we just sort of jump right into it? And so the idea is really about if you're a financial advisor, do you retire at your firm or do you leave the firm? And so just the quick math, if you're a million dollar producer and you decide you're going to retire at your firm, most succession deals have a length of five years, which means that you're going to get paid out over a five-year period of time. So simple math. You take a million dollar producer, the firm's going to pay you two times your production. In a W-2 world, we call that production. So that's $2 million. But on the $2 million, you're getting taxed as ordinary income. So you're going to pay, again, we're not accountants, but let's just use some basic math, 45% tax. So that's $900,000. So you net $1.1 million over the five-year period of time. Okay, not bad. You netted a million bucks, but you probably spent 25 years or more building your book of business. Pretty easy. It is what it is. Where dual monetization comes in, and there's a little bit more work involved because you have to leave your firm in order to participate. So and you were making a comment today about guys leaving their firms in this sort of marketplace and having more success. You were just talking oh, yeah. to a guy before we did this. That's something we've seen for nine months. Well, maybe not nine months, six or seven months. So the idea has been that, well, one, with a public health crisis, you know pretty much where all your clients are. And you've probably been in more communication than ever with your clients. Two, when the firm's considering doing a temporary restraining order or distributing your accounts, these processes either don't work or they're very slow. If they're gonna give your accounts out, they can't even get into the branch in some cases. So distribution may or may not take some more time. Yeah, and your inherited clients, if you're an advisor that's inheriting the accounts, you can't even go see those new clients. No, no exactly. And clients don't want to work with somebody brand new in the midst of a pandemic. Not in, this, not in this market, right. So we've seen basically the success rate of our clients, and we hear everybody else, their success rates, I'm not going to say 100%, because I just want to always leave some room for the unknown, but it's north of 90%. Whereas before COVID, it was, you could say 80%. So it's definitely upticked. But the other piece, and I was just having a conversation, we were doing a uh, discussion with Advisor Hub, Tony Suriani and Advisor Hub, we did a call. The speed at which advisors are moving their book of business is faster. Much faster. Clients are just signing forms. Well, they're signing them on their phone. They're signing them on their laptop, on their tablet. Yeah. And they're opening accounts under five minutes at some places without checking, without a lot of things that you would require to go... Really, maybe there's a good spot. Right. So we're going to jump in because the point of this is to achieve this dual monetization, it's gotten much easier. Step one of dual monetization is you got to move firms. So if you're going to move firms, now you're not going to sign a 10-year deal because you don't want to do that. 
you are thinking about retiring. So we're going to make an assumption that you're going to sign a five-year deal. So on a million dollars, you're probably on a five-year deal going to get one times your production coming in the door. On a 10-year deal, it's more like 150, 175. We're going to ratchet that down to 1%. That gives you a million dollars. You're also going to get over that five years, some back-end hurdles, which we'll say total of about 50% of your production. So that's another half a million dollars. That's 1.5 million. Use the same 45% tax bracket. So you're paying 675 in taxes over that five years. So you net 825. Now, here's where dual monetization kicks in. Now you decide you're going to go to execute strategy B and you're going to enter into a succession plan with whoever you're going to partner with and give your book over to. And the same numbers apply. So a succession plan, a million dollars, for making an assumption you just managed your book, you just maintained it, you didn't grow it. So it's a million dollars at two times production, just like before. It's $2 million at 45% is $900,000. You net one one over five years on the retirement piece. So when you add the 825, which is on the transition, and then 1-1 one, one on the retirement, you net after tax, again, I'm not an accountant, so consult your accountant, you net $1,925,000 in total revenue, which is 75% more than if you did that and you retired at your existing firm. Or in other words, instead of getting two times your production, you're getting three and a half times your production if you dual monetize your business. So why wouldn't you do a 10-year deal in this model? So we're looking at so one we, to five. Instead, Why wouldn't you do a 10-year deal and then this becomes, I don't know, two times? The reason why I don't use in these illustrations a 10-year transition deal is because I don't think it's necessarily realistic because most succession plans at a firm won't kick in until you're off of a deal. Because if you're on a deal, let's say you're, you sign a 10-year deal and you're seven years in or five years in, you're retiring. So you have to either give back the money, that other 50%, or they take that money out of your succession plan. Most succession plans, just so we're clear, are what we call earnouts. So they're going to give you some money up front. Some firms won't, but they give you an earnout where you're earning this money over five years and you have to hope that the individual taking over the practice, so if I was selling and giving the book to Dale, I have to make sure Dale is going to successfully manage my book of business and my clients because I'm getting paid out on that. So there's some uncertainty, which is why we're using two times. I know somebody out there is going, whoa, wait a minute, I can get three and a half times for my company. That's true if everything clicks. We always try to sort of under, under promise, okay? Well, and there's other advisors out there saying, wait a second, two times. They offered me 1.3. Right. It's sort of down the fairway. On right, this one. right. I'll put it out there. We'd be happy to talk to you specifically about your situation. If you want to reach out to us, you can shoot me an email at frank at eliteconsultingpartners.com or dale at eliteconsultingpartners.com. We'll help you out. But let's go to the next step because this is where I get really excited. So this is W2. This is W2. On the left-hand right. side. So W2 to W2. If you really really want to maximize the value of your business, you've put your blood, sweat, and tears in over your lifetime, a better strategy is to go from W-2 to 1099 because there's lots of ways for an advisor to plug into existing practices without having to start everything themselves and do everything themselves and take down the office space and all those things. 
When you might actually find a better successor for your client as well. So you have a bigger audience to pick from. Sure. There's a lot more people there, right? You're not beholden to just the 30, 40, or 20 advisors in your office. If you're in a big market, the geographics could really play. So again, this could look like a variety of things, but just being a business owner changes everything. Right. Making this move, you go from W2, plug into a 1099 option. So the first piece is you take your million dollars from production. When you go to a 1099 office, you're not going to get these bigger deals, right? You're not going to get one times revenue and all that stuff. So we're going to make an assumption you're going to get a 50% transition deal. I'm a little bit off the screen, but that's okay. So you're going to get a 50% transition deal. So you're going to get $500,000 to make the move. One of the differences is that instead of paying 45% as ordinary income, you're going to get taxed like it's profit and loss. So you're going to get taxed. You're running a business, so you're going to get taxed at 25%. Again, maybe it's a little bit higher, more or less, roughly 25%. So you're netting 375. Where the big kicker comes in is five years later, again, you didn't grow it, you just maintained it. Five years later, you're still running a million-dollar practice. We're using a profit and loss, roughly a net income of 65%. In our space, with the number of firms that we've worked with, it's just been consistent, plus or minus a margin of error of maybe two or three. You're at 65% net when you're running an independent practice. So we're going to use 65% as the number. So at a million-dollar practice, you're netting $650,000. To Dale's point, because there's a greater buying universe out there, you're going to get a true number of revenue based on your revenue. So you're going to get what I look at as eight times EBOC, which is earnings before owner's comp. Some people use EBITDA, but in independent space, most times we're using EBOC. So earnings before owner's compensation. So like everybody's paid except for the owner. Everybody's paid except for the owner. So you have this pot of money that's $650,000, okay? On average, again, plus or minus, has to do with the type of book you have and all that stuff. But let's just say on average, you have a pretty decent book. It's 75% fee-based or whatever. You're going to get eight times EBOC on your business when you want to sell it, which comes out to roughly $5.2 million because they're doing a forward look. So what they're saying is, how much am I willing to pay for a future, a business that generates $650,000 in the future? So $5.2 million dollars. Tax at 25%, $1.3 million in tax. So you net over the five-year period of time, $3.9 million plus the three seventy five dollars you got for making the move. So you're netting after tax $4,275,000, which, wow. Wow. <laughs> right. So $4,275,000 over that 10-year period versus $1.9 million in a dual monetization W-2 to W-2 versus $1.1 million going at the sort of the easy no frills way. We call that the no frills way. So to put that in perspective, this is two times revenue. This number here, if you add up the gross numbers before taxes, it's 5.2 times revenue. 3.5, 5.2. The after-tax difference from you retiring at the firm you're at versus going through this strategy that we'd be more than happy to help you with. It's a 288% increase in your pocket, your family's pocket. Do what you want with that. Pass it down to generations, donate money, being philanthropic. But by not doing one of these strategies, you're effectively giving this money to the firm that you're at. And they know it. And that's why 
They're trying to buy these businesses. That's why they're trying to buy your business to make it seem like it's easy. So when I look at these types of things and I hear advisors that say, I'm just going to retire. And I have friends probably watching this, some of you won't use your names, but I get frustrated because you're just leaving so much money on the table. And again, life is not all about money, but you spent 30 years building your practice. And I believe at the end of your career, you should try to maximize it as much as you can. Is this like when a client comes to an advisor and says, this model's like, we have money here in this asset. Maybe there's not, it's illiquid or there's not a lot of buyers to it. You're going to sell it for a loss. The advisor's like, well, wait a second. Why don't we sell something else that's more liquid where you're not going to take a big cut on it? Is it sort of like the same concept? What I like in the two, and I was talking about this last night, it's like you selling your house. So let's say you're asking half a million dollars for, I don't know what your house is worth, but let's just say it's a half a million dollars. And you say, well, you know, buyer comes in, they're saying, look, I'm going to give you cash. I'll buy the house tomorrow. Sounds great. Easy buyer. With the caveat, I'm only going to give you $250,000. So they're going to give you a discount on your house. It's an easy sale, but you're giving away your asset. That's this model. That's you as a financial advisor selling your practice to your firm because that's what you're doing. Call it what you will. They call it a succession plan. You're selling a business. You're selling an asset. Literally, they're going to make that other 3.2x on the business within 10 years or so. Right. They're going to, and we haven't even gotten into what this doesn't take into account is the annual income differences. And we're not going to get into that, but the annual income differences between what you've earned here, because this is the same, because you're earning the same 45% payout at W2 and W2, but going independent is much different. So we're not going to get into that. We're actually going to do another episode because I have to get a grease board that's twice the size. It's um, a great idea though. And, and I don't want to do that, but- Can I speculate on what the number would be? I'm going to guess. So they're going to have to stay tuned for the next episode. Oh. Yeah. See if I'm right. I'm going to guess it's probably closer to eight and a half, nine. I don't know that for a fact. Right. It's close. It's a big number. But what I'm trying to get across to everybody is there's a better way to do it than just retiring at the firm. And you brought up a question earlier and that was essentially like well, the, the effort that you have to put in mm-hmm. because there's some work involved here. But I've been in the business a long time. I can count on one hand the number of times I've actually had an advisor say to me, hey, I'm going to retire in five years, and they never do. Here's the other little hidden secret these firms don't tell you about. In this scenario, once you're out, you can't talk to your clients about anything related to their accounts. So by the time you reach this point, your best clients are usually some of your best friends. They either started as best friends and you're your clients or vice versa. If you're on a golf course and your client asks you, how's my portfolio going or how's whatever going, you can't talk about it. If you do, you actually violate the agreement that you sign with your client, with your What what happens if you violate it? You default. So basically you stop getting paid because you're acting as a registered advisor. And so if the, God forbid, the client, something happened, you told the client something and they sued, you'd have a problem. But look, some of the key to this thing is also, yes, doing this mechanism works really well with a caveat that you have to have a firm that's going to help you transition well. And you also have to make sure that you have a future successor that's going to be prepared to take over your book of business. You just can't go to a firm, take the check, 
and then say, I'm just going to sell my clients back to my firm. You have to have an advisor that's willing to take over. And so a little bit of an art to this, but the math is the math. And we've gone over this a dozen times and it always comes out the same. Doing a transition and then selling, which is dual monetization, is always a lot more than doing it at your firm. And doing it through a 1099 option at the end of the day is always better because you're getting paid at a higher ratio when you're independent than when you're W-2. That was a lot of information. It was really important that we get this out. I'm happy to send you the video, send you this information if you'd like. But if you have any questions, shoot us an email. Again, we gave you our email addresses, Dale at EliteConsultingPartners.com, Frank at EliteConsultingPartners.com. You can DM me. My Instagram account is FrankLaRosa.Elite. Or you can give Dale a call at 856-316-4653. And if you so choose, you can call me at 4651. So 856-316-4651. Thank you very much. Dale, was great having you on. We're going to shake hands. We're shaking hands. Too effing bad. We're shaking hands during this COVID environment. We're risky kind of guys. It's just how we are. We're living on the edge. Anyway, thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this, and we look forward to the next one. Take care. See ya. Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, Head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcasts.